So we've been doing a series on the big questions, the big questions of faith. It goes along with the small group study that I know many of you have been doing on apologetics. So we've looked at how do you talk with people who aren't yet believers. We've looked at how do you talk about the Bible, why do we believe the Bible. We're talking tonight about why Jesus, why Jesus. Next week we'll look at why evil. The week after that we'll talk about why the church. The week after that, Y'all on spring break. So it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Why Jesus tonight? In case you hadn't picked that up from the singing that we've been doing so far. So think about how many times in the course of a day you are asked, we are asked, are you really who you say you are? Now you may be thinking, I don't think that happens to me at all. Pull out your phone. Your phone, don't literally pull your phone. Imagine pulling out your phone and you hit a button and it will ask you, are you really who you say you are? If you are who you say you are, put your fingerprint right here and prove it. If you are who you say you are, put in a passcode because we don't believe you. Go ahead, prove it. Every time you log into the Calvin Network, it says, uh, mm, are you who you say you are? Do you have the right combination of three initials and a letter or a number or two? And then do you remember your passphrase? And then it will ask you every now and then to change your passphrase, and then you forget your old passphrase, and then you're just frustrated because you've got this inanimate object who is saying, do you think I know who you are? Because I don't. Prove it. Are you who you say you are? In fact, this happens to us so often that there are actually things you can sign up for and you can put all your information into one place because you're constantly being asked, are you really who you say you are? A question of identity. Prove your identity. When it comes to talking about Jesus, it's the same question. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is Jesus who he says he is? Even when he was on earth, people wanted to know if he really was who he said he was. He goes to dinner at the home of a wealthy man. And while he's reclining and enjoying the meal, a woman comes in, begins to wash his feet, and the host of the meal thinks, doesn't say, thinks in his head, if this guy were who he says he is, he would know that the woman washing his feet right now is a hooker. And Jesus, not only does he know that the woman is a hooker, he also knows what the guy's thinking. Awkward moment for that guy. Well, he's training his disciples, and they're walking through, and people are watching them, and the, the Pharisees watch them, and they say, well, if he were really the son of God, he would know you have to wash your hands in a particular way before you eat. That's just what you do. People are talking about where he came from, and they say, well, if he was really the Messiah, he would come from Bethlehem, and we all know he grew up in Nazareth. Even while he's dying on the cross, people are yelling up at him, hey, you say you're the son of God? Take yourself down from the cross. You did fancy things for all kinds of other people. Do a little fancy fancy for yourself. If you are who you say you are, 
Prove it. And when it comes to Jesus, it's not about the miracles. There are other people in the history of the world who have done miracles. Not quite as many, not as powerful, but there are other people in the world who have done miracles. And it's not about his teaching. There are other people in the history of the world who have said brilliant and profound things that have changed people's lives. The key question when it comes to is Jesus who he says he is, is this. Did he rise from the dead? That's the question. That's it. Because if he didn't do that, none of the other stuff matters. And if he did that, everything else matters. Did he rise from the dead? That's the key question. No one else in the history of the world has claimed to be raised from the dead. No one else in the history of the world has said our leader was raised from the dead. Jesus raised people. Elijah raised people. Peter even raises someone from death. But no one just by themselves, raised to life. Didn't happen until Jesus comes along. And the fact of his resurrection changes everything. And believing in his resurrection changes everything. The apostle Paul knows this. Last week we looked at the Bible. We learned that a big chunk of the New Testament letters were written by Paul. He was a church planter all around the Roman Empire. And one of the letters he wrote was to a place called Corinth. Corinth was a city, now in modern-day Greece, then part of the Roman Empire. It was a port city at the time. So lots of ships going in and out, lots of traffic, lots of people. Some of you know that in New York City, they have something called Fleet Week, where the U.S. naval forces all kind of come in and park and hang out at New York City, and all the sailors get shore leave. And New York City gets a little crazy because they got a bunch of sailors on shore leave. Corinth was like New York City at Fleet Week all the time. All the time. If you wanted it, they had it. Sex, any way you wanted it, with whoever you wanted it, you could do it. Any kind of entertainment, you want violent entertainment, you want sexy entertainment, you want funny, they got it. Any kind of alcohol, any kind of food, gambling, gamble on anything, they got it. Any kind of entertainment you want, Corinth had it. Corinth was party city. Paul goes to Corinth because he's bold like that. And he starts to talk to people about Jesus. And they actually start to listen to him. And this church grows, and he hangs out with his church for a year and a half, teaching them about Jesus. And they begin to turn away from Party City and toward a life of Christ. But as often happens, Paul leaves town, and then they kind of slip back toward Party City. And word of this gets to Paul, and he's like, oh, for Pete's sake. And so he writes him a letter. And he spells out all the things. All right, let's talk, let's talk about sexuality. Let's talk about merits. Let's talk about singleness. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. Let's talk about speaking in tongues. Let's talk about worship. Let's talk about love. And then at the end of the book, he says, now listen. None of these other things I've already written you about matter unless you get the heart of the gospel. 
So let me just do a little recap, he says. Let me just do a little refresher on what the heart of the gospel is. So look with me at 1 Corinthians 15. This is page 935. The black books are the Bibles. Page 935. We're going to read verses 1 through 34. And this is Paul, so it takes a little focus. So hang in with me. 1 Corinthians 15, page 935, verses 1 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, Now, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, it's another name for Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, Though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified of God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it was true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If, for this life only, we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. Read about this in the book of Revelation. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that it does not include the one who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him so that God may be all in all. 
Otherwise, what will those people do who receive baptism on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? I'm just going to take a moment and say this is a very confusing verse. No one really knows what he's talking about. It's the only time it comes up in Scripture. It apparently was a practice in Corinth. We don't know if it was people who were going to be baptized and they died before they could be baptized or uh, the baptism came late. They didn't get the idea of baptism until the community had been established. We don't know. All right? Moving on. If Christ has not been raised, he says, verse 30, and why are we putting ourselves in danger every hour? I die every day. This is a certain, brothers and sisters, as my boasting of you, a boast that I make in Christ Jesus our Lord. If with merely human hopes I fought with wild animals at Ephesus, what would I have gained by it? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Come to a sober and right mind and sin no more. For some people have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul's argument goes like this. Well, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if that's the case, he says, then um, you're still in your sins and your faith is futile. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we've also been insulting God for quite a while now because we've actually said that he did something that he didn't do. And then he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, paraphrasing, we are a bunch of idiots. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, he says, we're of all people most to be pitied. We are completely idiotic. We have sold ourselves out for a myth. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are idiots. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, Calvin College is a school of idiots. And I think in that context, I might be the chief idiot. Because I spend my life proclaiming this, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what I've given my life to. That's what you are paying tuition for. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, you're an idiot and you're getting in debt for nothing. Now, there are people who say, well, you know, Jesus taught good things. So even if you don't believe that he rose from the dead... You're going to a school that has a good value system, good morality. You're going to learn some good things. It's not all a waste. Except Jesus really doesn't give us that option. If you read the Gospel of John, for example, if you read the Gospel of John and you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God who predicts his own death and predicts his resurrection and then dies and then rises, if you read the Gospel of John and you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, he sounds like a crazy person. He sounds completely nuts. And that's why when he's talking to people in the Gospel of John, they're like, what? They don't get him because he sounds crazy. We don't get good teaching from crazy people. That's not an option he gives us. 
C.S. Lewis famously said, Jesus Christ was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Those are the options. He's either crazy or he's the Christ. That's it. Those are the options we're given. And this is why Paul says, look, if he didn't rise from the dead, we of all people are most to be pitied. And Paul himself knew how hard it is to believe this. Paul knew that from the inside. Because when Jesus rose from the dead and his disciples started to go around and tell people, like, this is amazing, Jesus rose from the dead, and they began to say things like, Jesus is God. Well, Paul, being a good Jew, he was called Saul back then, he said, no, 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 there's one God, just one. And anybody who says there's more than one God has to be shut down. And so he went out and started to persecute everybody who said that Jesus was the Son of God. Everyone who said Jesus rose from the dead, he persecuted. He stood by while they were stoned. He went to the religious leaders and said, I've done what I can do in Jerusalem. Things are under control here. Other people have got this one covered. I want to go to Damascus. Okay, Jerusalem to Damascus, long way away. He probably had to walk because donkeys were like the Mercedes-Benz of the day. Very expensive. He says, I want the paperwork so that I can go to Damascus and find people there who are saying that there's this extra God or two, and I want to bring them back here. They say, great, go on. So he, he begins his trek. He is full of righteous zeal for what he knows to be true. There's just one God. And as he's on his way to Damascus, Jesus shows up, knocks him on his butt. There's a bright light. There's a big noise. And Jesus says to him, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. Now get up. Go to Damascus because there's stuff for you to do. And he begins to stand up and he realizes he can't see, which is kind of a problem when you're on a road trip. And so the other people have to lead him to Damascus and he just sits there and he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink and he's just sitting there for three days like, what? What happened to me? And then there's this other guy, he's, a, he's also in Damascus and he loves Jesus and he believes that he's the son of God and he believes that he rose from the dead and Jesus shows up and he says to him, um, Ananias, got a little job for you. There's this guy over here. His name is Saul. You got to go over. You got to lay your hands on him and pray over him so he gets his sight back. And Ananias says, uh, is, uh, um, is this the guy who has my name on a piece of paper and can haul my butt back to Jerusalem and have me imprisoned? And that, that's the guy we're talking about? I don't think this is a good idea. And Jesus says, no, it's a good idea. I got plans for him. Just wait, just go. It'll be fine. And nice goes, lays his hands on Paul. Scales fall from his eyes. He can see. And you know what the first thing he does? He hasn't eaten or had anything to drink for three days. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He gets baptized. 
Because he says, something has changed. My whole world has changed. My whole world has been shaken up and turned around. And everything I thought was true is now in a whole new light. Because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent to redeem the world. He has risen from the dead. And I need to tell as many people as I can. And the intensity with which he went to those religious leaders and said, give me the papers, I'm going all the way to Damascus for these people. That kind of intensity becomes, give me the gospel, I'm going to the whole world with this. I'm going everywhere. I'm walking right into party city Corinth and I'm going to tell these people about Jesus because they need it. I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. I'm going to stand before kings. I'm going to be bitten by snakes. I'm going to get shipwrecked. I'm going to do everything it takes because this is the most amazing news the world has ever heard and I will not shut up. Paul knows how hard it is to believe the resurrection. And Paul knows what a difference the resurrection makes. He says, is Jesus who he says he is? Yes. And he gives testimony to the Corinthians. He's like, let me walk it through you one more time. Peter saw him, the 12 saw him, James saw him, the apostles saw him. 500 people saw him. 500 people. They ate with him. They touched him. He taught them. It wasn't a mass hallucination. He says he was actually there with them. And then... He also appealed to me. This is the best news he's ever heard. And so he says to the Corinthians here in chapter 15, Jesus is who he says he is. And at the very end, when it kind of changed a little bit, what he's saying there to the Corinthians is, are you who you say you are? Because as Jesus is who he says he is, the thin entertainment of Party City will no longer appeal to you. If Jesus is who he says he is, then you need to be who you say you are, which is a sinner saved by grace and ready to live a new life. Because he says, this is how it's going to go, you see. Jesus already rose from the dead. Y'all going to die. I hope that's not news to you. And then you're going to rise from the dead. And then you're going to have a front row seat to when Jesus destroys every enemy of God. That's how this is going to go down. And because of that, Paul says, we get to live differently. We get to live differently. And all this stuff in the first 14 chapters means nothing without the 15th. We get to live differently because Jesus rose from the dead. You get to live differently because Jesus rose from the dead. You get to not worry about your future. You get to. Other people have to worry about the future because they don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. You don't have to worry about the future because Jesus rose from the dead. You're like, how does that tell me where I'm going to grad school? It says... You don't have to worry about where you're going to grad school. Because if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can help you figure out your life. All right? Resurrection, big thing. Figuring out your life, that's like something he can do on a Tuesday afternoon. He can do it. (laughs) 
And because Jesus has risen from the dead, everything else we do is a response to that moment. Everything else we do. When you get diagnosed with bipolar, your response to that news is shaped by the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. When a friend back home gets diagnosed with cancer, your response to that news is shaped by the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. On Thursday night, Sarah got the phone call that no one wants to get, that her sister had died. And on Friday morning, Sarah was standing right about there in chapel. Tears rolling down her cheeks, able to sing some songs and kind of stumbling along through others. But she was here in this place because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that's the only way, folks, that's the only way we take the heaviness that is handed to us in this life and say, I can bear this up. I can make it through because my God raised Jesus from the dead and I have hope. We believe that there is more to this life than this life. So we believe. And we come to this table tonight because we believe that Jesus Christ died, he is risen, he ascended, and he will come back someday. And when you do this really simple act of ripping off a piece of bread and dipping it in a cup and eating it, there is something that happens, something mysterious, something we don't understand in which the presence of Jesus Christ himself comes and stirs up within you and nourishes you so that you can continue to move from death to life. So that you can be empowered to make the choices that say, I am a child of the resurrected king. So that you can be empowered to carry the things that this life gives you to carry. That's why we celebrate the feast. Because it reminds us that we are resurrection people.